Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge with my co-host, Corey Lynn of Corey's Jigs. How are you doing today, Corey? I am doing good. How about you? Doing pretty good. My family's been under the weather a little bit, but we're recovering, so you know how it goes. I know how it goes. I, my fur babies are my family and they're always under the weather. <laughs> <laughs> so today is going to be a little different. We're going to just talk about uh, my report that I've just put out on Corey's Stegs called Funding the Control Grid, the Food Framework. This is part three in a four-part series, but I know that you had some things that you wanted to talk about up front that you've been working on lately. Yeah, well, I just wanted to quickly mention, because we have two killer episodes coming out in March on the Solution Series with like a lot of, they're just packed with good information. So March 14th, we have Securing Your Privacy from Big Tech with Rob Braxman. And then March 28th, we have Self-Defense and Situational Awareness with Richard Murfer. So those are nice. really good ones. And, um, and then, of course, as you know, I've been working my ass off for weeks now on this report. And I finally concluded, you know, I need to break this into like three more parts. I can't just do this all in part two. It was funny. My mom stopped by the other day and I was working on my report and I'm scrolling through it because you know how it is. You got notes up above notes. You're like organizing it. Well, it's 45 pages. And she looks at it and goes, no one's going to read that. That is too long. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, the good thing is, is we'll cover it in the podcast. I'll talk about it on shows and I'll, I'll probably get it done in audio like I did the first part. So there'll be options, but I, I am going to break it up mainly because I just, I want to get this information out. You know, it's killing me. And so my goal is to get part two out. And this is a laundering, um, laundering with immunity uh, before podcast next week so we can go over it in next week's podcast that's that's my goal all right i'm, I'm, I'm fingers crossed certain i can make it happen yes <laughs> i believe in you <laughs> i know personally how difficult it is to get this stuff done so i've been working on this funding the control grid uh series and this one the food control one uh was much Oh my gosh, it's a beast. Okay, so this took me, I feel like I was in a cave for about a month <laughs> in deep research, okay? But I've done um, all the research for you guys and linked everything so that you don't have to. You just well, have to read this. Here's what's so awesome. So aside from the fact that you break down what's in the omnibus and NDAA as far as spending going towards the food framework control system, you actually get into, I'm like, no wonder it was taking her so long. You actually get into like the whole background and context of it all. Yes. Explaining all the things that have already happened leading up to this and now where they're going to take it. And by the way, here's how much money's going towards this. So this okay. is like the most awesome food takeover control, um, oh my god conglomerate of a reference point with tons of um links throughout and then of course we put related resources down at the bottom with um other reports i, I didn't realize how many food related reports i had done because i actually added to the ones you had put in there i'm like well we got to get those down there 
Yes. So yeah, so let's go go for it. Break this down for people. Yeah, this is a full scope report on all of the ways that agencies and organizations are taking control of the food supply, plus all the funding, as you mentioned, from our own taxpayer dollars spent through the omnibus and the NDAA at the end of 2022 that contribute to this multi-billion dollar food control framework. And some of the things in this report our listeners may be familiar with, but I can guarantee you there are some projects in here that I've listed and talked about that you may have never heard of or it's very it's not very well known. So it's definitely worth um, diving into and reading um, and also just listening to this Dig It podcast because I'm going to go through some of the lesser known projects. Um, But I've broken it down into four key aspects of the food control framework. Number one, poisoning the food supply. And I'm going to go through several areas and, and ways that they're doing this and what agencies and organizations are involved with that. Number two, manufacturing food shortages. Number three, consolidating food and water systems. And number four, weaponizing food assistance while tracking the food and the people. So I, as you mentioned, kind of had to had to provide a background and a context. Number one, I had to learn all of this stuff myself because I'm less <laughs> familiar with a lot of these projects and programs. And number two, I think a lot of people are the same way. And so I had to give some kind of context before I could tell you this is what's being funded, because you have to understand what really the agenda is behind funding this research or this program, right? So Well, and it's and it's funny, I just have to interject and tell people. So while I'm just working on this report, I'm working on my mega report, and we'd message each other, have you ever heard of this? Dude, have you heard of this one before? <laughs> and so... It's it's wild to see it come to life, and, and it's probably wrong, but I'm actually really excited to hear you go through this report, because I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing yet, but I know much of, of what's in here. However, I don't know how the spending breaks out. So yeah. I, you know me, like, my radar is going to start going off on, okay, this is where this is going to start going. Yep, yep, exactly. So just to quickly gloss over, um, we know genetically engineered food has been in our food supply for decades now, but people really need to expand their understanding of what falls under that umbrella now because there is this entirely new generation, next generation of genetically engineered food on the market. And this includes even recently in um, 2022, the FDA approved uh, cattle uh, using CRISPR technology uh, that was genetically modified. So this cattle has been approved for public consumption. So people need to understand that this umbrella for genetically modified foods is really not the same um, concept of what genetically modified foods were a decade ago, right? Right. Yeah. Gene editing and uh, genetically modified are two entirely different things. And I know I've explained this in the past, but I can explain it in like a 20 second nutshell is genetically modified. Is there actually um, putting something new into it, like new DNA into it to to morph it, um, to allegedly protect it from, you know, various things or make it a more 
um, desirable vegetable or produce or uh, cattle, I guess. And gene edited is where they actually take CRISPR and they splice, um, they splice it and they remove a piece, allowing it to naturally morph. And of course, they've done no, <laughs> no like long-term clinical studies on on this at all to see how that could affect a human being because you're literally altering the makeup of something. Right. And we're going to get into CRISPR because there's a lot of off-target mutations that could be a result of it and affecting the, affect the food chain, mm. uh, ending up with us. Um, but yeah, I'll talk to a, a little bit more about that in just a minute. But there, there are a host of new GMO 2.0 foods backed by billions of dollars and this is all being pushed on the public, including, you know, insects, synthetic meats. And we've talked about this for in, in several podcasts, so I won't have to go into detail about all of that. But I do want to talk about mRNA injections or gene therapies, I should say, for livestock for a minute, because um, we know that they have been researching M mRNA gene therapies for livestock for some time now and even approved some of these. Um, some of these gene therapies are going as far back as 2015, uh, but I want to highlight this one in particular. So in September 2015, uh, the USDA granted Merck a conditional approval, and this was for avian influenza mRNA gene therapies uh, for uh, chickens uh, for avian flu. And then subsequently, a month later, awarded them a grant um, for 48 million doses to be stockpiled of this stuff. And this was way back in 2015. Um, there was an avian flu scare back then. So I guess that's what they what their reasoning for um, it was. But um, this um, press release here by Merck. Um, it, it talks about how their platform it can be easily adjusted to um, to comply with whatever the current avian flu uh, strain is. So I just want you to keep that kind of in the back of your mind. They got this all ready to go. There's this conditional approval for Merck, and that's kind of the equivalent of an emergency use authorization. Um, so, uh, you know, this was done back in 2015, but, you know, considering we have an avian flu scare now, there's kind of this more pressure to, um, to address the avian flu scare. And I will talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but I kind of want to keep on this, uh, mRNA, uh, theme for a minute because while we're on the talk topic of RNA technology, um, Here's another topic that, you know, I just really didn't uh, know much about until I started doing this research. And what I've learned is that they're using RNA-based pesticides now, RNA technology for pesticides. And that's what, one of the things I messaged you about. I'm like, did you know about this stuff? Because I had <laughs> right. never heard of it. <laughs> So apparently these pesticides are considered the next generation of pesticides to replace, ultimately replace chemical pesticides. And meanwhile, so the EPA has been, um, they've been kind of making moves recently to more heavily regulate chemical pesticides. 
due to their mandate to protect endangered species. Okay, and so this is going to be sort of a golden opportunity for RNA-based pesticides to emerge as their replacement. And the EPA had already approved Monsanto's RNA pesticide back in 2017. This was for corn and has since approved several other uh, RNA-based pesticides since then for crops including corn, cotton, potato, soybean, papaya, and plum. So um, the COVID mRNA jabs, all of the money that was put into that really lowered the cost of manufacturing and producing this RNA technology, which has sort of created this boom in this next generation of RNA pesticides. I have to ask you, did you, did you, in your report, did you tie this to Codex? If you did, I won't say anything until you cover it. Otherwise, yes, I can interject. Well, not, (laughs) not about pesticides, but yes, Codex is definitely in the report talking about how they're changing the um, categories to include insects, among other things. Right. But the pesticides, excuse me. So at Codex Alimentarius, you know, where all things begin when it comes to food, pesticides, everything we eat, um, they're the ones who who lay the groundwork for that. So with, uh, you know, USDA, FDA, EPA, with any of them chiming in or making new mandates, it's common out of Codex Alimentarius first. And the committee, the country in charge, because there's... I, gosh, is it a dozen to two dozen committees and different countries are heads of different committees. And of course, China is head of the pesticide committee. So I just thought I'd mention that. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, and Monsanto, since you met Brian mentioned Monsanto, mm-hmm. they flood those meetings. They're all part of that. They're, mm-hmm. they are allowed at the codex meetings. They've got a whole, um, I can't remember the name of the group right now that, basically lobbies on their behalf so wow so monsanto's is helping us to determine what is acceptable to eat for the entire global population that's reassuring (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) and china okay wow all right so let me give a little bit of background on what this rna pesticide how it works and what it is. So they used nanotechnology as the delivery mechanism and they are delivering genetic code to plants and pests. And this genetic code is delivered to inhibit the production of a specific protein that the pest needs for survival, thereby killing off the pest. Okay, so similar to the COVID jab, everybody's familiar with the COVID jab. So you're injecting this gene therapy and the genetic code is telling your body to produce a spike protein that's foreign to your body. Okay, so in the opposite way, this RNA pesticide is producing the or is providing the genetic code for these plants and these pests whether it's insects bacteria fungus weeds whatever but it's inhibiting their production of a specific protein that is specific to that species that they need for survival thereby killing them off Okay, that's how this works. You know what's really crazy too is so Bayer bought out Monsanto. I forget what year, but 
Bayer is working on, out of California, a whole line of genetically engineered seeds for plants, for mm-hmm. vegetables, produce. So, oi. Yep. It's <laughs> crazy. It's crazy trying to keep track of the technology because it's advancing so so rapidly but just to give you an idea and going back to how uh, we were just talking about with CRISPR and the um, unintended consequences um, CRISPR has been known to create um, certain off-target mutations okay so there's really no way of knowing if we mass produce and mass use this kind of rna technology on our crops and all the insects and bacteria and fungi and weeds and everything how many off-target mutations you're going to create how much of those off-target create uh mutations are going to be inherited meaning like multiple generations and how many are going to be passed down through the food chain Okay, so this could dramatically uh, affect the food chain, right? And and ending and up with us. And animals, everything, the entire yes. ecosystem. Yes. And wow. so, yeah, and so when you're looking at possible side effects for someone who is exposed to RNAi pesticides, um, just this is from a, a report done by the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Anyways, they um, talk about some of the possibilities, uh, meaning um, possible allergenicity, toxicity, changes of nutritional composition, as well as some immune responses, some adverse immune responses, and not just in humans, but throughout the, the food chain. All right. So I think that this is something serious that we should be paying attention to, especially with this being considered sort of like the next generation of pesticides. And as the EPA is making major moves to kind of phase out chemical pesticides and looking at other areas that they want to sort of promote um, as far as pesticides that are supposedly going to uh, protect endangered species. Because one of the selling points of this RNA sort of technology for these pesticides is is that they target a specific species and they don't affect um, other, you know, species. Uh, but we just talked about how that that's kind of, we just kind of debunked that because, you know, we don't really know how much, you know, how many off-target um, mutations could affect, you know, uh, other species. So anyways. You know, you know where my mind goes, like when I'm listening to this, is I just picture the globalists all going off to their islands while they clear the fields here. <laughs> I mean, you know yeah where are they gonna be because they're not gonna be eating this stuff no they got bunkers underground right they yeah. all got bunkers why would they do that when they can go have their own island yeah, I mean, yeah. they're all set up along the caribbean <laughs> yeah exactly all right so in the next category which is the second aspect of the the food control grid you know i talk about food shortages and i'm not going to go through every single one of these bullet points but just really quickly to kind of give you background and context. I mean, we know that Joe Biden, NATO, G7, European Union, World Bank, USAID, they've all said 
that there will be food shortages in 2023. They've said it emphatically as though they know it, as though they are part of the, the plan to create these food shortages. And then throughout 2022 and into 2023, we've seen this major uptick in fires and explosions, particularly targeting our food supply, but also critical infrastructure, indicating sabotage, which is also contributing to the food shortages. But I want to talk about and focus a little bit on the avian flu for a minute um, because the media continues to blame avian flu for the scarcity and high prices of chickens and eggs. And so I want to kind of break this down and give people an understanding of how they are running this operation. So, so far, uh, at least 58 million birds have been killed off, and this includes 48 million, 40 million egg-laying hens, okay? And so what they've been doing, here's how they've been doing it. So the department under the USDA, such as APHIS, this is the Animal and Plant, um, sorry, the Animal and Plant, uh wish I could help you out there. I can't think of it either. <laughs> <laughs> Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service. Sorry. Okay, that's there you a go. second there. All right, all right. So under APHIS, they are mass testing for avian flu. And they are using PCR tests for this. Okay. So <laughs> for example, the National Animal Health Laboratory Network which is about a network of about 60 labs across the country. And they've, they've conducted themselves over 170,000 PCR tests in 52 labs in 39 states. Okay. So they're mass testing using PCR tests. Yeah. So based on the percentage of false positives in humans, where does that leave us legitly? I mean, the whole thing. Bingo. Just, yeah. Okay. So I want to break this down a little bit further but yes so everything that we know about pcr tests during covid the mass testing of pcr using pcr tests on populations with very low infection rate that did produce false positives and boosted their infection numbers right okay so now they're using this mass testing using pcr tests for avian flu but it gets worse than that because if a single bird in a flock tests positive for avian flu even this is the usda's guidelines here so right here they're talking about um, presumptive positive cases okay um, if a single bird is tested using a pcr test even without the presence without the presence of illness then that is considered a presumptive positive case and with presumptive positive cases, the entire flock is killed based off the presumption of infection. So I've just listed an example here of how a flock um, had a presumptive positive test result, meaning that the entire flock had to be killed to show you that this is how they're running the operation. So they're mass testing uh, million, you know, birds. And if one is positive, then the entire flock is killed. And it doesn't have to be um, even with the presence of any kind of illness, but just a presumptive positive PCR test. Um, so that's how they're doing it. 
And my yeah. question is how many millions of birds have been killed unnecessarily from false positive PCR tests? Probably all of them. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so now I want to go. I'm, I wanna... I'm not buying that there's even a bird flu going on right now. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is a shit show. With everything we know about COVID and how that hoax was uh, ran, it, it's really hard to trust anything now. But going mm -hmm. back to this mRNA um, approval for Merck for avian flu, because it does seem that the USDA is poised to mass vaccinate chickens with these mRNA injections, but they're holding off right now. Um, the latest news is that, you know, so, some countries are actually starting to vaccinate their their chicken population. Um, the U.S. is holding off and there are several reasons. Um, I have my own reasons why I think it's happening, um, but they say it's because, you know, there's all kinds of laws about exporting these kinds of birds once they've been vaccinated. They they can't be sold in other countries, you know, d d varying laws surrounding that. Right. Right. Okay, but I think that um, there's potentially two other reasons. I mean, they may want to see more supply chain pain by cooling we, more birds. Do we import any poultry? I mean, we're actually the number one chicken producer. So, I mean, it's more of like the U.S. saying, look, we want to be able to export our chicken right. products to other countries. And if we vaccinate yeah, I just, them. I just didn't know if we also did any level of importing at all. I don't know, but I, I, I don't see that being a major import, seeing as how we're like the number one uh, right. chicken producer. But so I, I think there may be two reasons why they want to hold off on mass vaccinating the chickens. And the number one being that they want more supply chain pain. They want, you know, fewer chickens and eggs on the, on the market, you know, higher prices and, you know, food shortages that all of these, you know, world leaders have promised we were going to have in 2023, right? Um, but the other thing is that, and here's this, this is Gavi's take <laughs> on the, uh, the avian flu. Gavi has to, of course, weigh in on it. And so Gavi's saying, no, look, you know, these vaccines don't really work well for chickens. What we really need to do is just vaccinate the humans to guard against um, the avian flu. So um, this could go two ways, you know. Um, of how they they plan to deal with it but i know that they've got several plans in their back pocket for the avian flu um and they haven't made all their moves yet of course right so um going back to um to my report and going to the third aspect of the food control grid um just talking about how they are working towards consolidating food and water systems. I mean, we know that over the years and with each year, the, the food system, the agricultural sector is becoming more and more consolidated with small farms dying off and big agribusinesses taking over a larger portion of the, the, the market. And that has been definitely exacerbated by the inflation, by the higher input costs of farmers. Um, they're losing profits. Uh, they're getting into more debt because of that. Um, but I want to talk about specifically about some uh, Biden executive orders and some subsequent rules by the EPA 
and the SEC um, that are compounding this issue of consolidating the food and the water supply. So Biden's issued several executive orders and initiatives on, you know, the climate and conservation, as well as tackling PFAS contamination. And so the EPA and the SEC are following in lockstep. And so as part of Biden's 30 by 30 agenda, which is to conserve 30 percent of land and water by 2030, the EPA land grab. Yep. The EPA uh, proposed a rule. I'm sorry, that's not the right one. Um, Yeah, here it is. Okay, so the EPA recently proposed a rule um, in January 2023 to revise the waters of the United States. Okay. This is to now include lakes and ponds and streams and wetlands. And so this WOTUS rule has traditionally been only applied to navigable waters. We're talking like oceans and, you know, navigable waters, right? Major rivers. Okay, but so the EPA is now wrapping um, pretty much any kind of water feature on any private farmland under this umbrella of the WOTUS rule. Including ponds, fishing ponds, drinking ponds, all of it. Yes, mm-hmm, Making farmers... Now, subject to fines or even jail time for conducting regular farming activities on their private land. So this is now obviously part of the 30 by 30 land grab agenda. They're trying to put an additional 409 million acres into permanent protection by 2030. Jesus. And so the American Farm Bureau and a host of other organizations are suing the EPA over this rule. This was filed January of 18, 2023. As soon as the, the EPA issued this rule, they filed the lawsuit. Um, so yeah, this is still an ongoing issue, um, but this is definitely part of trying to squeeze out farmers, trying to consolidate the food and water supply and a major land grab is what it is, as you just said. But also as part of the 30 by 30 agenda, the USDA raised rental rates. Um, let me see where I can find this. Yeah, raised rental rates uh, for their um, conservation reserve program. And I know that you've heard about CRP. Many people have. Some people maybe not. But so as of 2021, they had about 21 million acres into the conservation reserve program. And they then raised the rates, the rental rates and incentives to get more people on. They've added 5 million new acres. Some of those um, acres actually dropped off of the program. So I'm guessing uh, around 22, 23 million acres that they have enrolled in the CRP program total this year. But just to give people background, the CRP program pays rent to farmers for not growing food on their farmland, on a portion of their farmland, okay? So estimations for the cost of this program are around $300 million per year. So we are paying with our taxpayer dollars $300 million a year to ask farmers to not not, (laughs) not to produce food, okay? 
Yeah, this is, uh, so I just, I was pulling up some other stats while you were talking on the last point. And then right as you started this one, I hit this article from 2019, where they're saying at that time, more than 140 million acres in federal farm conservation programs. But then they talk about 900, the 2017 census of agriculture revealed total farm acres in the U.S., including pasture, cropland, and woodlands at 900 million acres, 40% of the country's entire land area. So you're saying how many millions are they saying are in this conservation program right now? Okay, the last estimate that I had was from this report. I think it's in this link right here. Let me check. Yeah, um, where it said in 2021, they had about 21 million acres of farmland. And these were for rent, rental agreements for 10 years at a time. Now, so um, with each year, some of those contracts die, right? And um, so they right. will lose some, but they're also gaining some. So I would say it's a net gain. It's been a net gain of somewhere around a million new acres enrolled into 2023. So I'm guessing they have somewhere in the ballpark of about 22 million acres to 23 million acres just in the CRP program. There are other conservation programs like Equip. That's probably what this is because this is 140 and yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm just talking about CRP, but there are other conservation programs. And what farmers need to understand about this is that um, when they're signing these contracts um, for conservation easements on their property with the government, they're creating what's called a federal nexus. So when the government decides to permanently protect a critical habitat, that does not apply to private lands unless... There's a federal nexus through these conservation easement contracts. That's how they're able to control the private lands. And they're specifically targeting wetlands in the CRP program that are adjacent to already federally protected lands. Okay, so farmers need to be aware of this and watch out for these conservation easement programs because they're a trap. Yeah, yeah. I'm right. sitting here looking at a map of the states. In 2017, Texas was in the lead for that. Yeah, I wouldn't well, be surprised. Okay, so Biden issued another executive order that I want to talk about. And um, this was re- related to climate disclosures and climate-related financial risk. And in response to that, immediately, so the SEC starts making rule changes. So the SEC uh, proposed a rule in March. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. Okay, so they proposed a rule in March of 2022 to force companies to disclose climate risk. And what that means is that companies are going to have to, they're not going to be able to do business with farms that don't have the capacity to measure how much carbon emissions their farms are producing. Okay, this is totally a BlackRock agenda to force companies to comply with, you know, their ESG standards, right? Okay, but the way this is going to affect farms is that if they're not able to uh, meet compliance standards, okay, with whatever that sort of means as far as converting farms to be producing less carbon, 
then businesses will be unable to work with those farms because those businesses will be required to report to the SEC on climate emissions throughout their value chain, including the source of the products, which would be the farms. What was what was the day? Oh, okay, so this is this was in May of last year. Yeah. Now, when the SEC proposes this rule, is this something that has to be voted on by Congress, or no. it no. doesn't? No. What they do is they'll they'll propose the rule and then they'll give a period of time for feedback and they'll get a bunch of comments and then they'll respond to them and they'll say, okay, we'll make some adjustments and all that's been going on behind the scenes. And I'll tell you about it in just a second, but just to, to drive the point home, this is going to, if this rule goes through, this is going to further consolidate the agricultural segner, sector because it's only going to be big agribusinesses who are able to invest in all these carbon emission tracking things to meet compliance, right, in order to do business with the big businesses that move their products to market, right? Right. Okay, yeah. but the SEC has not yet finalized this rule, and the reason why is because they have gotten major pushback from industries and agriculture. They got 15,000 comments when they <laughs> proposed, uh, you know, a comment section for public feedback, mm -hmm. okay? And there are, there are tons and tons of organizations lining up lawsuits in preparation for this rule, okay? So they're Good. saying... They're, but they're saying they're on track to finalize this rule in the spring of this year and that they may make some quote unquote adjustments. OK, so we'll have to see how that goes. But if this rule passes, it will have a major impact on agriculture by consolidating it even further. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And not just just the rules or measurements they're taking to determine, you know, how climate friendly they are, but the expenses, because you can bet your ass it would involve changes in equipment and operations that would cost a left long and put them out of business. Exactly. And that's, I think, what it's designed to do. Yep. I think it's designed to further consolidate the agricultural sector and other sectors. Is I think it's a, it's a small business killer across yep. the board. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but one last uh, comment I want to make about this section of the report is about um, an, an initiative that Biden initiated um, on PFAS contamination. All right. And so this mm -hmm. initiative that he launched in 2021 has kind of had a, you know, a chain reaction. Okay. And so the EP, let, let me kind of back up for a second. Um, PFAS is a contaminant that is found in many things. Um, it's deemed a quote unquote forever chemical because it just can't be cleaned up. It just can't go away. So um, PFAS contamination is an initiative for them. And it's found in many household items and they believe it can, it may cause cancer and other health problems if exposed in high enough concentrations. Okay. The problem is that PFAS is really prevalent. Okay. In low concentrations everywhere. Okay. So it is my belief that this agenda 
isn't about protecting our food and water supply. I think that this is a Trojan horse uh, for causing more food shortages and scooping up more farmland. And let me explain how. So the EPA uh, created a strategic roadmap, PFAS strategic roadmap after this, you know, Biden initiative. They've got lots of roadmaps. Mm -hmm. And as part of this strategic roadmap, they also issued a new new rule um, on PFAS contamination. And this new rule gives them more authority, more power to test, broadly test for PFAS contamination and to hold PFAS polluters financially accountable for cleanups. Okay, so as part of this strategic roadmap, the EPA, the FDA, and the USDA are testing for PFAS contaminants. And so the the FDA is testing in the food and packaging, while the USDA is testing dairy and livestock for contamination. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you can see how this is going to lead to possibly more food shortages, things being taken off the market for PFAS contamination. Okay. Right. But let me just show you how it's playing out in Maine, because Maine is sort of ground zero for this PFAS contamination agenda. And so what's happening in Maine now, so far, 56 Maine farms have tested positive for PFAS contamination. And they're having their milk uh, taken, you know, uh, they're dumping their milk, their contaminated milk, they're taking their produce off the markets. These, they're shutting production down at these farms. Meanwhile, their farmland is considered to be contaminated with forever chemicals, right? So their land is becoming less valuable. They can't even sell their farms because it's contaminated with forever chemicals, okay? But I bet the government will be happy to buy it from them. Bingo, because that's exactly what's happening in Maine. And man, I hate this link. Okay, good, it pulled up. All right, that is exactly what is happening in Maine. Right now, state legislators in Maine are discussing a bill to buy out the contaminated PFAS farmland okay and this isn't just a main problem this is an everywhere problem because this pfas contamination testing is going on throughout the country and the american farm bureau um, is warning that this could be a widespread and devastating um, initiative for farmers in the country is this going to roll through other areas other industries other buildings the housing market Mm -hmm. if it's in our homes and yada 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 Mm -hmm. yeah i I foresee that happening for sure Mm -hmm. Hmm. yeah it it definitely tear down this building and put up tiny little residential with retail on the first floor in your 15 minute city and there's your bikes over there if you need to go somewhere yeah, and, and uh, just I understand some people would say, look, PFAS is terrible. It's a terrible contaminant. We need to get rid of it. Okay, I understand that. 
But what I also need you to understand is that the standard before the Biden regime came into office was 70 parts per trillion, okay, was the acceptable amount. And since then, the EPA reduced that to zero. So essentially, you know, even picking up the most minuscule amounts of PFAS contamination, they can, you know, do all of the things that they want to do as far as um, holding polluters accountable and deeming land and crops and milk and livestock to be contaminated. And then they'll just, you know, Gates will go in and set up some solar farms on the land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh. All right. All right. So going back to the report. I know this is this is lengthy. Sorry, guys. <laughs> There's so much important information in here. It, it's vitally important. Keep on rolling. I don't care right. if we go over. All right. So, um, talking about tracking and controlling the food supply, um, this is the last key area to focus on with regards to the um, to the food control get, grid. Um, so they are weaponizing food assistance programs and tra- while they're tracking and controlling both the food supply and the people. So right now, um, there's about 41 million people enrolled in SNAP. So this is the SNAP program, which is by far the biggest food assistance program that we've got. It's okay. So enrollment, just to give you context, enrollment in the beginning was 2,878,000 people. And it cost us about 250 million a year. Okay, we are at here, the latest information, 2022, we've got 41 million, over 41 million people enrolled, and it's about $120 billion a year. Um, the hundred they're pushing hard to get as many people on it as they can. Mm-hmm. Yep, I was just going to say that, um, so this, with this new initiative, and you wrote about this in your report, your food is medicine report, where mm-hmm. there's this new Biden initiative to get more people enrolled into SNAP by considering food medicine and by um, the physicians diagnosing people and funneling people into food assistance programs. Okay, so yeah. they're they're trying every way possible to get more people enrolled into SNAP and WIC, um, but primarily SNAP. And so I wanted to show you this thing that I discovered when I was researching um, that I don't think many people know about. Um, this is called in so in October 2022, the USDA issued an interim final rule to establish a national accuracy clearinghouse. Okay, so this new center has been in the works for years, but it's now finally operational. Okay, so the National Accuracy Clearinghouse is this database for all SNAP enrollees in all the states. Okay, and what it's designed to do is it's used to identify SNAP enrollees who may be receiving benefits in multiple states. To, to They're trying to look for fraud. Okay, sounds great, right? <laughs> Except, so... Except what they're actually doing is they are creating um, a digital ID infrastructure to link to SNAP benefits. Okay. 
And I found this way down on the bottom of this rule here, um, creating this new center. Okay, so what the, the way they're doing is it is they are using what they call a privacy preserving record linkage process to create a cryptographic hash and generate mm -hmm. a participant ID that can then link the enrollee's personal documents to their SNAP benefits. And that participant ID can be used to identify that SNA same in SNAP enrollee across multiple databases. Okay. This is the well, same. Well, it's privacy preserving. Mm hmm. This is the same technology that's used to preserve transaction records for CBDCs. Yeah. And for COVID passports. Okay, so this is the digital ID infrastructure that they are creating to link it to SNAP enrollees, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So people need to be aware of that one. Um, so one last thing um, before I roll into the, um, the omnibus and the funding is that in November 2022, uh, the FDA, let me see where I can find it. Oh, let's see which one is. Oh, I don't think I have this one here. Okay, sorry. Sorry, I have so many notes. In 2022, the FDA um, issued a final rule on tracking foods. Um, yeah, here it is. Okay. And so this tracking foods rule, okay, um, it's basically um, and a system for end-to-end -end tracking using distributed ledger, ledger technology for the entire food supply. Yep. I wrote about that one when they dropped that too. Yeah, they're starting out with a list of foods. And um, let's see, I think, I, yeah, here's the list here. Okay, so they're starting out with this list here of foods, but they'll tell you themselves that this is not the plan. The plan is actually to implement this ultimately throughout the food system. Um, so what they're doing is they're using distributed ledger technology and they're um, creating like, um, let's see. They're tracing it from seed to plate. They're yep. tracing like from coffee bean in the fields all the way to grinding it in your kitchen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're using like traceability lot numbers. It's blockchain. And then you track where it goes from, from you, like you said, from seed to plate. That way, if there's some sort of foodborne disease outbreak, then mm -hmm. we know exactly where to trace it back to and can isolate it and protect everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the funding. Um, you know, I know this is this is where this is you the fun part. Yeah, for that's me. the fun part for you. Okay, so at the top part of this section, I've outlined really the major players, um, key agencies, programs involved in the food control framework, just, and how much so funding people, they got. Just so people know, though, the 2023 omnibus bill reaches 1.7 trillion, and the ADAA defense bill is 858 billion. Mm -hmm. So of that, of that, you've got how much for just the food and agricultural programs? 242 billion 
of which oh. discretionary programs reached 25.5 billion an increase of 737 million and i will tell you a big chunk of that is snap okay yep, i noticed that mm -hmm. yeah yeah big so increase yeah, so I go through each of these agencies, and then I'll talk about them further down below. If you're like, who's the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry? Well, I'll talk about it at somewhere else in this report, but it's giving you an idea of how much funding they're getting. And I will tell you, practically all of them are getting increases in funding, and this is billions and billions of dollars um, going to them. The only one that didn't that actually got a decrease in funding yeah, that's interesting was the usda and i'll explain because covid money has run out okay so they got a gigantic boost in covid funding from okay. those two major stimulus covid packages that we crammed through and a lot of that was basically they were enrolling more people in snap um mm. who lost their jobs and couldn't afford groceries and blah 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 so uh that money is running out all right. Okay. And so now, uh, so it's actually kind of a decrease, although it's really, it's way above, you know, pre-COVID levels, right? Gotcha. All right. So um, getting into the first aspect of the food control grid, which is poisoning, poisoning the food supply, there are a number of agencies like um, APHIS, which we just talked about. Um, they get $1.17 billion. This is an increase of $61 million. Um, they are heavily involved in the avian flu outbreak agenda of mass testing um, for avian flu. They actually got 64 million specifically for that agenda. So mm -hmm. um, the Agriculture Research Service, um, this is part of the USDA um, that does all the research, actually one segment that does the research. There's uh, NEFA as well, which I'll talk about. But the Agricultural Research Service got $1.74 billion. Um, they use that money to fund crazy research, including testing bats' susceptibility to COVID. <laughs> okay, and this is like recent. This is like ongoing. Okay, wow. that, that's going to work out well. Um, but they're mm -hmm. testing for uh, mRNA vaccines for livestock for swine fever, salmonella for chickens, viral infections for chickens. They're even doing research on RNA-based technologies for these new next generation of insecticides that I just talked about. So um, NEFA is another area of the USDA to, that does a lot of the research. They got $1.09 billion. Um, this was an increase of $42 million, and they also are very involved in funding mRNA vaccine research for li livestock, including at Iowa State University, uh, to prevent bovine respiratory syncytial virus. So um, Codex, which you already talked about um, and you've written about, uh, they got $4.92 million, and they're responsible for basically setting the standards for the global food supply. And they recently have introduced categories to these food stand standards, including okay. dogs, rats, and insects. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so let's see here. Um, oh, I wanted to talk about this one right here because you've actually written about this. Um, so the Omnibus actually does talk about um, the National Bio and Agro Def Defense Facility. Okay, this is a BSL-4 laboratory that 
studies zoonotic diseases. Um, so they are capable of handling the most deadly and tr transmissible zoonotic diseases. And you wrote about this report when the news kind of came out and they've, this lab has been under construction for some time now. They completed construction in December 2022. And the omnibus talks about how the DHS is handing over ownership to the USDA now to make this facility fully operational somewhere in the time frame of spring 2023 this year. Okay, mm -hmm. but they're on the same campus with uh, BRI, which is um, another research lab that does a lot of human mRNA vaccine research, animal mRNA vaccine research. Um, they've even invented a new nanotechnology to create, quote, the next generation of mRNA vaccines. So oh, this bio lab, BSL4 bio lab is a hot spot. Oh, yeah. And they, they hold the what's the technical term for the foot and mouth disease? Um, mm -hmm. uh, they hold the samples of that there, which is very dangerous. They're in the meat belt. So mm -hmm. not good. Yeah. Yeah. And so one other thing I wanted to um, to talk about here is that um, the EPA is transitioning away from chemical pesticides, as I, I talked about, and kind of moving towards this next generation of pesticides, in my opinion. Um, and the omnibus kind of signals that, and their 2023 budget signals that as well. They even said, we're going to be focusing in 2023 on reduced risk conventional pesticides and biopesticides, which these RNA-based pesticides are considered biopesticides. Um, so, and then also the omnibus establishes a new expedited voucher program, expedited review voucher program. And this is actually to expedite the review process of pesticides that affect, that kill off or affect uh, mosquitoes particularly um, and it has to be some sort of it, for this voucher program it has to be like a new novel type of pesticide and so these novel RNA based pesticides um, using CRISPR technology could be eligible for this ex expedited program review program mm -mm -mm. So going on to um, manufacturing shortages. Um, sorry, I'm trying to keep up with my notes here. There's just so much. Um, so they, <laughs> I'm looking stuff up while you're talking. So <laughs> I keep muting it. Okay. So um, the USDA's Food and Agricultural Defense Initiative um, received $41.5 million. And part of that goes to food and agriculture and uh, goes to, I'm sorry, uh, the food and agricultural integrated activities received 41.5 million. And part of that goes to the food and agriculture defense in initiative. A lot of big words to try to cram in. So FODI is part of USDA. Okay, this part of USDA is focused on like biosecurity risk, natural disaster, cyber threats, just shocks to the food system, basically. Okay, and one segment of FODI is this National Animal Health Laboratory Network, which is 60 labs across the country that is heavily involved in the mass testing for avian flu. Okay, 
So just kind of breaking down how they're funneling this money to various agendas. So um, the omnibus also sets up $5 million for the USDA to carry out PFAS testing. And um, this PFAS testing is for soil, water, agricultural products, and it's also designed to mitigate this funding is designed to mitigate the impacts to farmers for whatever livestock or crops they have to just dump because of so-called PFAS contamination. But I'm telling you that this is going to be a much bigger issue going forward. And what I foresee, I guarantee the upcoming farm bill, which is set to pass, well, the, the old farm bill expires in September. So that's when they're, it's expected, the new one is expected to pass. And this is for five years, funding five years of these programs. Wow. Um, I guarantee they're going to allot billions towards this PFAS testing program and paying off farmers who've lost you know, their crops or their cattle or their milk from so-called PFAS contamination. All right. So this is what's really interesting. Um, On page 107 of the NDAA, so the Secretary of Defense is required to create a center of excellence for environmental security. Doesn't that sound good? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. So this center... This center consists of civil and military operations focused on managing food, water, and energy shortages, Mm. as well as the fallout from those shortages, which may include economic, social, political, or national security events. That's ominous to me. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. All right, so moving on to consolidating water and food systems. Um, In this section, I outline about half a dozen different agencies and funds that are receiving billions of dollars to put farmland out of production and put more acreage under federal production as part of Biden's 30 by 30 agenda. Uh, They are particularly focusing on wetlands, and there's billions going towards this Mm. okay um also they they set aside eight and a half million for urban agriculture aka indoor vertical farming which you've written extensively about (laughs) yeah so um the epa gets 10.1 billion this is an increase of 576 million um i'm yeah an increase of 576 million including an increase of 72 million for enforcement and compliance programs okay now the epa has set aside in their budget 126 million for this pfas agenda to research and test and prevent and clean up and enforce and clean up that which cannot be cleaned and hold those pfas polluters accountable and all of that right that's right if we're going to hold them accountable and we have household items with it what about all the manufacturers that we know the top shareholders are blackrock and vanguard what about what about those products are we going to hold those people accountable too right especially since they're in our homes 
Mm-mm. Okay, going on to outbreak and supply chain tracking. <laughs> all right, all right. We're running, we're running uh over over That's time here. okay. Okay, so um outbreak and supply chain tracking. Um the FDA received um well they received a total of six and a half billion. Um three and a half billion of that being discretionary funding with an increase of two hundred and twenty-six million. Um, so the FBA has this new era of smart foods initiative, which I just talked about, which is they're tracking the entire supply chain end to end blockchain, basically digital ID for the entire food system. So that is getting that agenda is getting 20 million from their funding. Mm. Okay. Um the NDAA established a national strategy for distributed ledger technology, and we've talked about this before because I wrote a report on it. Um, but with regards to the food supply, um, the use cases that this national strategy is, is supposed to research is for supply chain tracking, not just digital ID, but delivery of public services, which I believe may include like food assistance programs like SNAP, as well as supply chain tracking. And then also they are doing a pilot program for artificially enabled um, tracking of the food supply chain, artificially intelligence enabled tracking of the food supply chain. Mm -hmm. It isn't so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just sitting over here looking up how many acres of wetlands and how many acres of this and seeing how many acres these guys are going for. <laughs> Okay, oh, go ahead. La last section here. <laughs> um, what I've done is I've broken down all of the domestic food assistance programs and all of the international food assistance programs that we're funding. And so um, there's literally hundreds of billions going into this, primarily to SNAP, which SNAP got 153.9 billion um, to go through September 2025. Uh, but there are, you know, half a dozen other ones, other programs as well. And then we get into all the international food programs. And what I've done in this report, and I provided all the links, is that all of these uh, international organizations, whether it's FAO, which is the Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN, or... One of the creators, along with the WHO of the Codex Alimentarius. Mm-hmm. Or the World Food Program, which is another UN organization, or the World Bank, all of these guys, or have USAID. And privileges. Well, yes, yes, have immunity. Just had to throw that in. Yes, and they are all heavily involved in humanitarian, assist, humanitarian assistance programs that are linked to biometrics and digital IDs. So I, I've, I've linked it all where you can see how, how they've been doing this. Whose documents are totally inviolable. Yep. Yep. And then the last thing that I talk about is Ukraine aid. And I know that's a touchy subject, but um, because we have no idea how much of the hundred billion dollars plus in U.S. military and humanitarian aid has actually ended up in the Biden crime family's pockets, in the pockets of corrupt officials. But let's just assume a tiny fraction of this humanitarian aid. Poking, I was poking around in that the other night, and I actually have some information I'm putting together on that. Mm. 
you know, every now and then I get burnt out on my report and I got to sidetrack myself to something else. Yeah. <laughs> I hear, I hear you. I know. I was like, I need a brain. I'm break. like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This thought popped in my head and I'm like, sure as shit. I'm right on the money. So now I got to look up this and I got to look up that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to either write this up separately or just add it into the report I'm working on now. Yeah. But Ukraine is a perfect testing ground because what they're mm-hmm. doing is um, of the tiny fraction of money that is actually ending up, you know, in the hands of the Ukrainian people, what they're doing is that humanitarian assistance is given to them through their digital IDs, the DIA system, okay, right. that USAID created for Ukraine just prior to the war, which is like perfect timing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then now USAID says, well, now we're going to actually start exporting this whole program, this digital ID program that worked so well yeah. in Ukraine. We're going to start exporting that to other countries. I was looking at that the other night, too. Oh, yeah. and they got, which, by the way, USAID, the State Department, and related agencies got $81 billion through the omnibus. Okay, 16 billion of which went to sort of like humanitarian aid, food, water, environmental programs, all of that. But you know that it's this this agenda to implement mm-hmm. a control grid, um, yep. connecting food assistance to like a digital ID infrastructure. With, with all these wonderful government programs that you can now access right, right. from your cell phone. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of closing thoughts. I need to reiterate this is that this year will uh, the Congress will pass the farm bill. So the old farm bill is set to expire in September. This is a bill that passes only once every five years and it's massive. It doesn't just cover agriculture. It covers everything we've just discussed from researching mRNA gene therapies for livestock to paying rent to farmers for not farming on their land to food assistance programs like SNAP which will make up about 80% of the entire entire funding for the farm bill. So it's by far the biggest, biggest program. We need to pressure lawmakers to defund and scale back as many of these programs as possible in this upcoming farm bill, which they're in the process of negotiating right now. Um, And beside that, um, as we've talked many, many times on this podcast, uh, we need to focus on self-reliance because lawmakers right now are trying to funnel more people into food assistance programs, into this food control grid. We need to be focusing on self-reliance, growing our own food, networking locally with farmers, because controlling the food is their gateway to controlling the people unless we become self-reliant bombshell of a report dude very very well done ah thank you thank you i feel like you know just living in a cave and deep research for a month paid off oh i know uh, believe me i know I've, <laughs> I've been doing it for two months and you're like ah finally done with part three i think i'm gonna take a week before uh what's what's part four don't we have one final part to this yes and this is the last one that ties it all together it is the digital the technological infrastructure. So Mm. all the investments going into distributed ledger, CBDC, digital ID, 5G, even some other, even some other things tucked in there that I found out about directed energy weapons. We have the biomedical, the psychological, the food, and then the digital ID that that's where the bulk of this money is going. 
Mm. And you add that into the infrastructure bill that I had done. And you know what I really wanted to break down is the the climate one they passed. Um, Is it the inflation reduction one that was all all about Mm -hmm. really about climate? Yeah, I really, really am itching to break that one down. But can only handle so many projects at a time. One thing at a time. <laughs> or 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for sticking around and listening to this important report on the food control grid. Please be sure to share this, even with lawmakers um, who are looking to defund some of these programs in the upcoming farm bill. We appreciate that. So uh, share this podcast. We're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, no longer on YouTube. So please be sure to subscribe to these other platforms. And we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It. Thank you.